MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. Well, NBA fans, the wait is over. NBA basketball is back, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting part of the NBA, is celebrating an unbeatable offer. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets for throwing down $5 on the NBA. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. You'll start the season with an instant dub. And with DraftKings parlays, everyone's got a shot at even bigger basketball wins. String together multiple bets from the same game or build your parlay across multiple games for a shot at making your payday even sweeter. Basketball is more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code MANIX. New customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly for just betting $5. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code MANIX. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, licensed partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario, bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. This is Boxing with Chris Manning. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. And we are back. Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network, calling Cowherds Podcast Network. Second show this week. If you missed my thoughts on the Tyson Fury, Francis Ngannou fight, I recorded an episode 
right after the decision was announced in Saudi Arabia. Go back a couple of days, check out that episode as well. Got a great show lined up for you this week. Keith Eidek, senior writer, BoxingScene.com, good friend of the podcast. We continue the conversation on Fury and Nagano, and we talk about the future for both these guys. Uh, Francis Nagano, should he go back to mixed martial arts? Should he stay in boxing for one more fight? Tyson Fury looks like he's headed towards a showdown with Alexander Usyk, but what about after that? Is there still a market for a second fight between Fury and Nagano? Plus, a lot of things happening in boxing. Shaki Foster, he had a monster win this past week. And Keyshawn Davis, <laughs> strange times for Keyshawn Davis these days after having the result of his fight overturned because of marijuana. Talk to Keith about that. As well. A little bit later in the show, Jamel Herring, the former 130 pound champion, he is mounting a comeback for one more run at a world title. He fights early next week, the rare Tuesday night fight in New York City. He joins me to talk about all things with his career, why he's coming back, uh, what he hopes to accomplish, and why he believes as he approaches his late 30s, he can be a player in the 130 pound division. Stick around. Great conversation with Jamel Herring. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. It certainly helps us keep the show going each and every week. All right, Keith Eidek, senior writer, BoxingScene.com. Does a great job covering boxing for that website. So Keith, the boxing world and the MMA world are still buzzing over the uh, Tyson Fury, Francis Ngannou fight this past weekend. Uh, I, I gave my thoughts on a short podcast uh, right after the fight. So just let's start by giving me yours. What was your kind of reaction as you're watching Fury Ngannou transpire? Yeah, I think I was surprised. Like most people, Chris, I didn't think that it would be uh, all that competitive. I did think he would have to be, Fury would have to be wary of Ngannou's power because the guy obviously can punch. It's I didn't know what his delivery system would look like or anything like that, which Tyson Fury himself said he didn't know either because he didn't really I, – I, when I spoke to Tyson Fury about maybe nine, eight, nine days before the fight, whatever it was, he said, look, I'm not putting any stock in these videos that they're releasing because I, I don't know if that's – you know, if I were doing something on a video that I were putting out to the world, I wouldn't show what I'm trying to do. So he goes, I'm assuming he didn't really show what he's capable of doing. So if he did underestimate him, it wasn't based on that. And he kind of said, you know, after the fight, he said, look, I didn't underestimate him. He goes, I didn't know whether he was good or bad because there was nothing really of substance to look at to know one way or the other. Now, maybe subconsciously, Chris, you know, he he took him lightly. I mean, you would have to say that to some degree. Um, but I also think people should give Nganu credit for for doing what he did. I mean, the guy has never boxed in a professional bout before. He got a little bit of amateur experience and everything. Um, that's pretty incredible what he did, whether Fury took him lightly or wasn't in the best of shape or whatever. That's on Fury for making the enormous amount of money that he made for this fight and then not to have taken it seriously or whatever. And I don't even know if that's entirely true. Maybe he's 35 years old coming off a long layoff and he's just not physically capable of doing what he once did when he had these long layoffs. He, of course, he was away from boxing for years at a time and had drug problems and all kinds of other physical problems. Um, so I think people should just give Nganu credit for that. And 
the other thing as it relates to uh, Fury not taking it seriously in training, now, I don't know what he was doing in training camp, and there's a small inner circle of people who would only know that, but he was he officially weighed 277 and three-quarter pounds. He was fully clothed when he weighed in. I don't know what the purpose of that was, but he was fully clothed when he got on the scale. So that was officially the highest weight that he had ever come in at for a professional fight. His previous high weight was 277 pounds. So he was probably actually lighter than that with his clothes removed from the equation. And he was 277 pounds for his third fight against Deontay Wilder, which he won by violent knockout in the 11th round. So from a, from the look of his body, I mean, he always looks flabby and stuff. That's the way he always looks. It's not that wasn't really all that much different. Now, whether the, the actual training was something that prepared him properly to to fight in that type of you know grueling fight that it turned into. I mean, who knows? But but he but the weight. It's not like he came in at three hundred and ten pounds or something. I mean, he he was he's been as heavy for a fight before. So I don't, you know I don't know what to make of that exactly. Yeah, I, I think the one thing about Nganu, uh, we knew he'd come in in great shape. I mean, the guy's built like a tank, and that was no surprise. We knew he had, he'd have power. That was no surprise. What I was surprised by was the game plan. He had a game plan. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that clearly flowed through his actual trainer, Dewey Cooper. I mean, Mike Tyson's there. It's more of a gimmick. He's getting paid by the Saudis. Like, it's, Mm -hmm. this is more about his trainer coming up with a game plan that made sense. And we didn't see Francis Ngannou out there winging right hands at Tyson Fury. In fact, his most potent weapon in that fight was the left. And that, to me, showed a fighter that was coming into a fight prepared. I mean, Keith, I can't remember the last time that I saw Tyson Fury fighting Southpaw for that long. Like, he fought Southpaw for a couple of rounds there. And and that's just not really his style. And, and that's when, you know, third round, when he got caught, he was fighting, I think, in that Southpaw stance. So, you know, it, it's it, it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't some of it wasn't surprising that Ngannou had a great game plan and executed it to the best of his ability. That was surprising to me. So, you know, even though he didn't officially win the fight, I don't want to get into it with people over who won, who lost. I mean, I've read cries of robbery. That's not a robbery. Like stick around boxing long enough, you see actual robberies. A close fight that could have gone one round either way is not a robbery by any stretch. You can quibble with ninety six, ninety three whatever, but 95-94 in favor of Tyson Fury. That's a perfectly legitimate scorecard to hand in for a fight like that. But Nagano, even though he didn't win the fight, he won the night. Like, he came away the big winner from that fight. Um, what should he do now? Like, what's the smart play for Francis Ngannou, who's going to have tens of millions on the table for whatever he does next? Well, I would think the smart thing for him to do would to be field as many boxing offers as he can get because he's never going to have the opportunity more so than right now to make this type of money because you know he was obviously paid very handsomely 10 million dollars in guarantees according to Tyson Fury uh for this fight and he went and proved himself as a as a legitimate boxer so if their money is there and you know the Saudis print money so who knows what they'd be willing to pay for right and, you know seemingly anything right so if there is a real opportunity for him to fight let's just say Deontay Wilder or, of course, uh, t- to the surprise of no one, Eddie Hearn, who called this a farce the day before it happened, now wants Anthony Joshua to fight Francis Ngannou. What a shock. Uh, by the way, when is uh, Wilder Joshua happening? <laughs> you were always among the biggest skeptics of that, Keith. I'll give you that. Um, 
nevertheless, uh, Nganu did himself, uh, you know, did his bank account wonders on Saturday and good for him, man. I mean, the guy's story is incredible from where he came from in Cameroon and then through France and then it works his way up through MMA, which does not pay nearly as well as boxing. And, and, you know, he made 10 plus million dollars the other night. And I'm assuming if you're going to continue to have these type of crossover events in Saudi Arabia, they'd be willing for him to pay. Uh, they'd be willing to pay for him to fight Deontay Wilder or maybe Anthony Joshua or someone of that stature. And why wouldn't he continue to do that? Because he's not going, I don't care if it's PFL, UFC, Bellator, if it still exists, you know, if they pull all their money together, he's not going to make the kind of money in an MMA match that he's going to make in boxing. So why would he, I'm not saying he should turn away from MMA. He's still considered kind of the, the, the uh, real heavyweight champion of MMA. So there'll be opportunities for him there as well, but he's not going to make as much money assuming, you know, he goes into, I'm not saying he should go fight like Derek Chisora or someone like that. I mean, you want it to be as high profile of an event as it can be, but assuming that those, those paydays are there for him, why wouldn't he do that? I mean, this is a guy who uh, this time a week ago, Chris, people were laughing at and saying, this guy's a clown. He has no chance to win this fight. Um, you know, look at his boxing technique. And and he went and proved everybody wrong, no matter what was wrong with Tyson Fury or whether he took him seriously or whether it was an off night of that. Look, I, again, I can't emphasize enough. This guy deserves a lot of credit. Um, and, and this was, <laughs> uh, you know, we... I exclusively make my living covering boxing. Now you, you know, you make a big part of your living covering boxing and everything. And we always hear these debates between boxing and MMA fans and everything. This was a loss for boxing. It wasn't just a loss for Tyson Fury, uh, you know, in the court of public opinion. I mean, if he, he won because he made a huge amount of money and he's laughing all the way to the bank. Uh, but it was a loss for boxing in the sense that here comes some dude, you know, big, strong guy, obviously, never boxed before and then gets in the ring with the don't even be started on the lineal nonsense but but he's considered the best heavyweight right now right i mean you know of course him and and usik hopefully will settle that in the ring but he's considered the best heavyweight pound for pound guy too and he went in there and almost lost to a guy who had never boxed before that's a huge win for these mma fans who've been all along saying our guys can go in there and beat your guys one thing i would say Let's just say Tyson Fury would have lost on Saturday night. It would have been a much bigger loss for boxing had Conor McGregor beat Floyd Mayweather. That would have been much worse for boxing because he's a generational type talent and the pound for pound king and he had never lost. Fury had never lost either. But I think that would have been worse for boxing. But this was this was a loss for boxing in that sense. Now, look, boxing's got a lot of problems already. So what's the difference really? I mean, it's, this is not going to do irreparable damage to the sport. It, they, they've done that to themselves. <laughs> so, but it was a bad night for boxing. And it just related to the scoring real quick, Chris, you could, I, I had, now I was covering it live off of TV, running round by round and everything. I I, I felt like Tyson Fury won 95-94. I thought it was like a 6-4 kind of fight. So there were too many rounds. I didn't think, thought when Ngannou didn't do much. Not that Fury was, you know, was that very active or very effective, but he did enough to win some of those rounds with his jab and he landed some right hands and everything. And obviously landed that right elbow, which seemed pretty damn intentional. Um, There's no way you're going to tell me that wasn't intentional. Right. No, like, totally intentional. Was, he meant um, to do that. Yeah. And, but I thought he eked out the fight. 
the fact, by the way, Engado didn't even flinch at that right elbow. No. Like, how tough is that he's guy? He's a tough he dude, man. No, he's, he's, he's got, and look, you know, we all think Deontay Wilder is the is the most polarizing puncher of, of, of today's boxing and all that kind of stuff. Um, but when Tyson Fury, you know, hit Deontay Wilder, he went to sleep, you know, eventually. Not, not you know, it took him a while, but eventually he, he knocked him out, out, you know, not cold, but pretty much cold. And he had Francis Ngannou with everything he could the other night. He didn't budge. So, again, cr- credit to him, man. I mean, the guy, and he's a very nice guy. He's sort of boring. Um, he's not, it, you know, thankfully for the Saudis and ESPN and uh, TNT Sports and everyone that was involved in the event, they had fury to sell the event because Ngannou wasn't going to be able to do that. Um, now I know English is like his fourth language or something, but he's just, I wouldn't say entertaining is a, is a way to describe him. He's very nice and very polite and all, but... Um, Look, he just made himself a lot of money. So yeah. good for him. Yeah, look, the Middle East is the wild card at all this. If they come to the table in two months and say, Francis, we want to give you $20 million to fight Deontay Wilder, you got to take it. Like that's life-changing money, uh, a big event, you got to take it. But if, but look, the Middle East, they came up with the cash to do this fight, good for Francis Ngannou, but a lot of times they don't. You know, and a lot of times they move slowly in in these types of deals. So if that deal doesn't materialize December, January, February, if I'm Francis Ngannou, uh, I'm not fighting Anthony Joshua at Wembley Stadium. I'm not fighting Deontay Wilder in Las Vegas. What I, my best move, and this is kind of my nickel's worth of free advice for Francis Ngannou, my best move for him is to go back into MMA because he goes into PFL and he fights someone like Alistair Overeem or Junior Dos Santos. You know, guys that exist in that universe that he could fight Put, putting aside someone like john jones if ufc would ever do a co-promotion that would be a major event for francis Ngannou. but go into uh, a pfl match you know fight the you know the pfl's got a heavyweight championship coming up fight the next pfl heavyweight champion fight one or two fights and just wait i think francis Ngannou right now can afford to be patient because his legend is kind of only going to grow over the next few months people got to think even more of Francis's performance as time goes by. I, you know, it, it's the, the the shine's not going to come off this this performance anytime soon. And, and the the, the kind of shiny object at the end of all this could eventually be Tyson Fury. I mean, Tyson Fury's got probably what two fights with Alexander Usyk coming up. The first one maybe as early as the first quarter will be as early as the first quarter of 2023. Then, if it's a two fight deal, they're going to wind up fighting again probably in a rematch. But there's a possibility, Keith, that Tyson Fury could emerge from all that as the undisputed heavyweight champion. And if he's the undisputed heavyweight champion, <laughs> that rematch with Ngannou just got a lot bigger, right? It became a much bigger deal. So if I'm France Ngannou, I go back into PFL, I reestablish myself as the top guy in the heavyweight division in that combat sport, and then kind of cross my fingers and hope that Tyson Fury gets his act together and beats Alexander Usyk. Because how much would Saudi Arabia pay? They already paid for you know, Nganu Fury part one, and, and that was better than advertised or better than expected. How much would they pay for part two for the undisputed boxing heavyweight championship? That to me is an even bigger carrot for France Nganu. And if I was advising him, that would be the path I would put him on. Uh, I, I see what you're saying, Chris, but that's a lot of ifs. That's a lot of things that would have to break perfectly for him to get back into that position and I wouldn't count on Tyson Fury fighting three more times if I were Francis Ngannou. If, if I'm going to if I'm going to map out my financial future, I'm not basing it on Tyson Fury, who retires every other day, 
Um, and, and at some point might just be done because I know he loves boxing and he's always he said he wanted to fight 10 more times. And the guy hasn't fought 10 times in the last 10 years or whatever, but he said he wanted to fight 10 more times. Okay, fine. But, um, you know, what happens when he loses one of these fights? Let's just say he loses to Usyk. Maybe they don't fight again. And then, and then he doesn't fight. Again. You know, there's a lot of, that's why I don't really think, look, if Nganu has to fight in MMA next because PFL pressures him. I mean, they have a contract with him and everything. And his they've been waiting for a long well, time. And, and, once, yeah. and from PFL's perspective, they've invested in him, and mm-hmm. he's never going to be bigger than he is right now. So they want to get him in the cage and have him fight and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to pretend to know um, the levels of guys in MMA that he could fight because I don't watch it, and I and I'm not pretending to know who's a, a, a safe. Oh, opponent I just googled those isn't. names, Keith. Don't worry. <laughs> right. I just googled up potential opponents. I don't know well, anything about. You know, well, I don't even know who the PFL heavyweight champion is. Yeah. I'm just sort of throwing those names out and there I, that came up. And I know like MMAfighting.com is what I think I looked. Right, at. and I don't mean that in a demeaning way. I just don't. It's just not on my rate. I don't pay attention right. to it. So. I don't know what's a dangerous fight for him in MMA and what isn't. What I do know is that he's 37 years old and you go in there and you take a risk against a guy. If he gets picked off by one of these MMA guys before he boxes again, his value is not as high as it is today. So I, I get what you're saying. No, he can't wait around for six months to get some sort of payday that might never How come from the Saudis. How long is Riyadh season? How long is Riyadh season? I don't even time? know what Riyadh season means exactly, but... Um, <laughs> But, is it like a fall type season? Three months? Four months? I don't know. I, don't I guess know. it's just where they just throw money at everyone, apparently, including Eminem and a lot of other people. But there was a lot um, of people. There yeah. was a lot of people there, Keith. Sure that was the first time I've seen Dimitri Bevel sure and Archer was. better be having the same room. No, exactly. But maybe they could put that fight on. That's the fight okay. people actually want to see too. So um, but all but all joking aside, Chris, I mean, if if I'm him, I, I just waited out for a few months and so unless PFL pressures him to get back into the cage. Uh, and I don't know what their plan is, obviously, but unless they do that, I would just wait for a few months and see if you can fight, you know, Joshua or Wilder or whatever. But one thing I would say is, even though Fury has knocked out Deontay White, he stopped him once while he was standing and 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 knocked him spark out, as he likes to say, uh, in the third fight. You get hit by Deontay Wilder, it's going to be a little different. You know, he he ain't, he he ain't a, a boxer. And he does everything almost, almost virtually everything fundamentally wrong, but there is not a heavyweight in the world that punches like that. Mm-hmm. So you get caught with a couple of those. I mean, it might be a little different story, but people that it would captivate the public's imagination, right? So if I'm him, I just I just wait that out and uh and just see what happens. But over a reasonable amount of time, like you said, you can't wait six, seven months, you know, because then of course people start forgetting. And he's what thirty eight now. Uh, like he's already up there. I think he's thir- he's he's thirty seven. That's another yeah. factor in all this, Chris. He's thirty seven years old, and you know maybe he doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on him because he started late and all that kind of stuff. But you know that MMA training is no joke. Yeah. So I mean, I'm sure his body's banged up and everything. I mean, he wants to get paid just like anyone else who would be thirty seven years old. And Fury, you know, is thirty five now. So. It, and didn't really treat his body well for a lot of his life, so he might be an old thirty-five if there's such a thing. So, um, well, let's let's touch you know. on that real quick because I, look, I, I've been I've been f- covering Tyson Fury pretty closely since about 2013, when he came to the U.S. and fought Steve Cunningham at the Garden, um, and I've seen or been to all of his fights since then. Uh, that was the worst I've ever seen of him, unquestionably. You know, and it it, it did not look anything close to the fighter we saw fight so brilliantly over three fights against Deontay Wilder. Did not look like the guy that starched Dillian White with an uppercut. Did not look like the guy that beat down Derek Chisora. Uh, And 
it was a little surprising, I guess, because, yeah. you know, Tyson Fury, yeah, he hasn't fought in 11 months, but told everybody that would listen, he had a 10, 12 week training camp, um, was not fighting, you know, Deontay Wilder again, was not fighting a guy with any boxing experience. And he went out there and he looked slow. His jab looked soft. The power punches, they weren't there. Um, you know, look, he let go of his right hand far more against, uh, against Deontay Wilder than he did against Francis Ngannou. Uh, what did you make of the way Tyson Fury fought? And what do you think it means for Tyson Fury? Well, you know, Chris, he, again, he's 35, so his reflexes might not be what they once were. His legs aren't what they once were. And he relied a lot on athleticism and doing things that, frankly, a six foot nine, 280-pound guy should not be able to do. So maybe he's not capable from a physical standpoint of doing those things anymore, and he's going to have to adjust his game uh, accordingly. But uh, he, did, he didn't look good, obviously, but I think a lot of that had to do with Francis Ngannou and what Ngannou was not allowing him to do. And I think once he was in there with Ngannou and said, this guy's not really, you know, the, the, the sucky fighter that I might've thought that he was. He was like, Oh man, like, you know, cause he came out, if you remember right at the start of the fight, I think he threw a right hand right at him. And I think he was like trying to send a message immediately. And, and as the fights, as the rounds went on, and then of course he gets knocked down toward the end of the third round, which really didn't surprise me all that much, Chris, in the sense that he's been knocked down so many does. times in fights before. You were, I think you, I, I'm pretty sure that was an NBC yeah. Sports Network or NBC fight or whatever that you, but like that tree, you did on like TV. Like a tree falling yeah. in the forest there, Keith. Totally. And, and I think you were broadcasting that fight and I was covering it for the paper and all that stuff. And that was the first, that was the second time I believe he was knocked down in a fight. He had been knocked down in one of his previous fights against an unbeaten European guy whose name escapes me right now. But he was the first guy to knock him down. Fury got off the deck and stopped that guy. And the guy only fought one more time in his career. Um, but he's been down against, uh, so th that Cunningham knockdown was the second knockdown of his career. He's obviously been knocked down four times by Deontay Wilder, twice a piece in their first and third fights. Uh, and now in this fight, he's been, I'm pretty sure he's been down seven times altogether in his career. So, and when he went down, it wasn't like he was in any worse shape than he's been in for some of these other knockdowns. He was like, ah, oh, I'm going to scrape my big ass off the canvas again. He seemed fine. Like, like it was more, I don't know, I don't know flash knockdowns is the right word, but you know, he was, he, but he composed himself and he got up and he didn't look like he was all that hurt after that, to be honest. I mean, he's obviously down two points in that round and maybe realized he's in with a better or, or surely realized that he's in with a better guy than he was expecting. But I don't, I didn't think he was on the verge of getting knocked out or anything, but I think that that adjusted his strategy moving forward because he's like, I got to be careful with this guy because he catches me in an exchange again. I couldn't go down again. Then you're down two more points, even if you don't get knocked out. So I think it, he was, he was wary of his power going in and he was much, 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 much more wary of him after that third round. And he fought accordingly and he used his jab well at times and he landed some right hands. And there were times when Nganu wasn't doing all he's pressuring him. So you're going to get some, credit from certain judges for for pushing the fight and 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 fighting off your front foot and everything but he wasn't necessarily landing a lot of punches either but as you said earlier in the podcast chris like you know he was fury was very mindful of his right hand and it was a left hook in the exchange that actually knocked him down so his left hook was his left hand was better and then nganu himself fought from a southpaw stance i didn't think he was terribly effective in doing it but it does change the way fury approaches him so it had an impact on the fight. So, um, you know, as happens with with everything, Chris, people are now rewriting this. I mean, by the time by the time we get to next week, you know, uh, Francis Ngannou will be Pernell Whitaker, 
Um, well, Francis Ngannou is contributing to that too because it, you listen to Francis Ngannou right after the fight when he did the post-fight interview, which most oftentimes you get the most truthful answers. And Francis Ngannou did not sound like a guy that thought he won the fight. Maybe he thought it was competitive. Right. He knew it was competitive. But mm-hmm. he didn't say immediately after, oh, I won, I got robbed. It was only hours later and days later that he was out there saying that the judges ripped him off, boxing needs to do something about it. It was kind of eerily mm-hmm. similar in a way, Keith, to what I saw and experienced after the Canelo-Bevol fight. Like, talking to Canelo in the ring right after Bevol, he kind of admitted that he lost. He's like, you know, sometimes that happens. It's boxing, you lose a fight, you move on. Then you get back in the locker room, and you've got all the people around you saying, oh, man, you won. You won that fight, man. Mm-hmm. You got robbed. And then... You know, at the press conference that for Canelo, sure enough, he's like, ah, I thought I won the fight. I thought I did enough to win the fight. Like, they, you know, the truth comes out in the immediate aftermath. Your truth feelings about what happened in that fight comes out in the immediate aftermath. But I didn't get the sense that Nganu was outraged by the decision, um, you know, right after uh, the fight. But he's going to keep going <laughs> with all this. Chris, uh the most telling post-fight interview that I saw with Francis Ngannou was ESPN's Brett Akimoto interviewed him in his pretty expansive locker room after the fight. He said to to Brett Akimoto, he said, look, I knew going into this fight that if it that if it went to a decision, I wasn't winning. He knew. So he felt like he he didn't verbalize it this way, but he said that he had to knock him out to win. He'd yeah, welcome to boxing, right? He knew that he had to do that to win this fight. So he wasn't surprised that he lost. So maybe that in the immediate aftermath in the ring after the fight, maybe that played into what he said. Cause he was like, yeah, I knew I had to knock this dude out, you know, and that's not fair and that's not the way it should be, but that's reality. Right. You know, he, yeah. you know, there's all this money at stake with the Usyk fight. And, you know, of course, you know, when, when you land, he landed what five more power punches than Tyson Fury, Tyson landed, landed right. like what, seven or eight more total punches. This also like, everybody's like, this settles the battle yeah. of the baddest. No, it didn't. Like this wasn't Gotti Ward. Like, let's just, this was a competitive fight and a surprisingly competitive fight, but it wasn't a great fight yeah. uh, by any stretch. No. And it certainly wasn't Whitaker Chavez in the, in <laughs> relation to robberies and such. Oh. I mean, come on, you know, but, but you know, it's just oh, Paul Williams, Aries Landy, Lara, you and I can go down the list of, uh, with Joe Casamayor, uh, his fight. Many, there's many, yeah, many, this, this. countless, countless, uh, there's so many, we all, we lose track when we cover boxing, yes. right? Cause another one pops up every few that's, weeks. That's seems, unfortunately because so. you can expect at least one judge on the panel to give you absolute dog shit. Like that's what you can count. Well, on. seven, seven rounds to three in this case, it's probably that that's dog shit, probably. right? Because he didn't, I don't think Fury won. Se- now, some people would say, well, look, if if you gave him six rounds, couldn't you find a seventh round? Well, yes and no. I, mean, I think the copy I thought box seven to three so, was a the little. The copy box numbers were so close. Except for that third round where Ngannou outlanded Fury like seven to one. That was the one where he got knocked down. Every every single round was close in terms of punches landed. Um, and look, right. copy box is not, you know, it, it's not how we score fights necessarily. It's a mm-hmm. nice guide for it. But um, there were some, I, like I even seven three, I didn't find staggering. I didn't. I mean, I think you could have you could have reasonably seen a pathway to seven three. Uh, Eleven zip, which is a scorecard I'm going to talk about in a couple of minutes from a fight down in Cancun this past weekend. That's something that is uh, <laughs> is an embarrassment. Last thing, kind of on this Fury Nagano stuff. Um, I thought going into this fight, Keith, that we were at kind of a tipping point for crossover boxing because while the hype behind these events was great, the results of these events have been largely awful. Whether at the highest level with 
you know, Conor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather, which wasn't terrible because Floyd, I think he carried Conor for, for the early stages of that fight. But then you've got some of the crossover stuff with, you know, the Pauls knocking out all these MMA fighters or beating them down pretty badly. What happened with Dylan Dennis and Logan Paul a couple of weeks back? Um, I, I thought we might have reached kind of an inflection point with uh, crossover boxing, where if this went the way that so many other crossover events had gone, that maybe we wouldn't see these for a while. Now I think the exact opposite. Now I think you're going to see MMA guys, whether it's Sean O'Malley in the lightweight division challenging Gervonta Davis, whether it's Conor McGregor trying to get in the ring with Canelo Alvarez. Uh, I, I think the door's now wide open, Keith, for more of these types of events because they already proved that they can be lucrative. But what France Ngannou did was at the very least say they can be competitive if they're fought between two guys that are fighting at the highest level. Yeah, I don't know, Chris. It just depends on who it is, I suppose, because yeah, this is obviously going to encourage MMA guys that they can go in there and beat boxers. There's no two ways about that. But I don't know how many of those guys exist and then find willing dance partners because Gervonta Davis is not, at no point anytime soon going to fight an MMA fighter. There's too many options for him, and he's making too much money in boxing. He doesn't need it. Well, Shakur Stevenson so, wants to do it. Sounds like he wants to do it. Yeah. That's what he's. That's what Shakur's saying. Now, if let's just now, if Shakur can't get the kind of fight that he wants, you know, maybe he would seriously consider it, which might be difficult for him because he wants to fight Haney. Doesn't look like that's happening anytime soon. Wants to fight Tank. I don't see that happening anytime soon. So he might get to the point where he feels like he can make a, you know, a, a the bag as they say, and and fight a, an MMA fighter. That that's fine. Um, but I don't see Gervonta Davis fighting an MMA fighter at any point, really ever. Um, but I, I don't. I, I think it's happened. Tw you know, really twice where they were events of this magnitude. We have Fury and Ganu, and we have Mayweather McGregor. I don't. Can, you know, yes, Jake Paul is technically a boxer, and he's yeah, fine. I mean, but he's not Floyd Mayweather or, or Tyson Fury in terms of accomplishments and ability level and all that kind of stuff. So there's been two of them. One of them was not competitive, and one of them was. And now you know he was competitive enough, and he knocked down one of the heavyweight champions. I mean, there there's going to be some momentum for these types of things to happen again. It's just, which boxers are you going to get to engage in it? Are you, you're not going to get someone at the stature of Mayweather and Fury, because there's not that many guys at the level of those guys. So who are the guys you're going to get to do it? Yeah, maybe you'll get a, I don't know, pick some random junior middleweight champion or whatever. Somebody might do it, but at this level, I don't know. I mean, especially... Now maybe boxers will look at it like, oh, maybe these guys, you know, who knows? <laughs> maybe these guys have, you know, maybe they punch harder than we think, and maybe you know there might be some hesitation. I'm not saying Sh Shakur Stevenson, I'm sure, thinks he can go in there and beat anyone in and around his weight. At, that's an MMA fighter, and, and Javante Davis probably feels the same way. But again, as it relates to Tank, I don't see him doing it. I mean, it's hard enough to you know trying to make the fights in boxing. Now he's going to go fight guys, you know, from MMA that he doesn't need. From a financial standpoint, he doesn't need any of that. Yeah. You know? Could you see Canelo doing it? You know, if, if a Conor McGregor fight gets big enough, could you see Canelo? I mean, Canelo, he, he used to be adamantly opposed to this stuff. He's not so much anymore. Like, he does kind of leave that door open a little bit to engage in this stuff. He always kind of puts it off, says, I've got stuff I want to accomplish first in boxing, but 
I don't know. You know, he commented immediately after he was on social media. He was watching the Ganu Fury fight, so yeah, no, yeah. he weighed no. in on it. So I, th- th- you know, look, I, McGregor's kind of fallen out of sight. He's not out of mind, of course, because he's such a big star and he does so many things outside of the cage. But he's not as big as he was when Floyd Mayweather fought him. But if he gets back a little bit, I could see Canelo and McGregor going at it. I could see them tagging. Yeah, I mean, I'm not- Another smaller guy, Chris. Like it's the, like, <laughs> oh, he's gonna fight Crawford. Then he's gonna fight Conor McGregor. Then he's gonna fight Ryan then Garcia. The, the catchweight fight. Then who's the, who's the strawweight champion that he's gonna fight after that? And I'm, I'm not I'm not taking this out on Canelo, but I'm just like, you know, can we see Canelo fight David Benavidez or 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 Demetrius Andrade? No offense. Um, we are now into November, Keith. We are weeks away. I hope you place your bets because well, well, this is what I would say. I hope you uh, are closer to right about that. Than you were about Fury and Ganu because I heard I heard what you said on the podcast about him having zero point zero chance to win, and did, uh, yes, he almost say, won. I did say 0. He almost 0 percent chance to win. Uh, the, uh, I got rece- I got receipts. Demetrius Andre though he's like in the nineties the percent chance to win. Like I'm bullish on that one. I'll be out there in Vegas. Who's a real? That's a real fight for Benavidez. Okay, great card. You I, just I, reported I, this I week too. Like like all the all, I wish all these PBC cards were like this for years. You've got Hector Luis Garcia mm. and Lamont Roach. That's a meaningful fight. 130 pounds. Like that's yeah. I, I love that that's added to that card. It's a good good add to what's already uh, a solid card. Jamal Charlo. And, yeah. And Matias Ergachev is a yeah, no, yeah, 140 pound title yeah. fight. Like this yeah. is like the yeah. almost. And I don't want to you know exaggerate or be hyperbolic, but you remember the days when Don King stacked pay per views of world championship fights. Like that's kind of what pay per views should be. Um, and and this is going to be a great event. I mean, even if you are not overly enthralled by Benavidez Andrade, which you should be, because Andrade's going to come up with the biggest upset of the year, and he's going to call out Canelo right afterwards. But even if you're not enthralled by that fight, then hey, you can get a whole bunch of other quality fights that are underneath it that are going to be uh worth watching uh 100 are, are you are you secretly android's manager is that what's going on here uh, i'm actually gotta, android on. and i are, are fess up, fess up, finally right, cool right? again like i i had I, I had it out with them on the podcast we we played things out publicly. how could he be how uh, how could he be mad at you you're hard enough for him to fight you know jaime munguia when jaime oh munguia is not going to fight anybody and gennady golovkin wasn't going to fight him because gennady was waiting for the Canelo fight. I just kept pushing Charlo because, hey, you got two belt holders and you got Eddie Hearn out there dangling like $7 million offers for Jamal Charlo. So I kind of figured that that fight would have happened. Uh, hey, but maybe it will happen. Maybe hey, that's, they're both in the PBC universe now, Keith. Maybe it'll happen at 168 pounds. Um, mention 130, that title fight with Hector Luis Garcia and Lamont Roach. You got a lot of activity over the last couple of weeks and, and this week even with the 130 pound division. A great fight this past weekend in Cancun um, between Oshaki Foster and Rocky Hernandez. Uh, Predictably, because the Rocky Hernandez fight, this was an action fight. But the 11th and 12th rounds, Keith, they were fantastic. I mean, I don't know if we'll get into the judging, but because it was open scoring, um, Oshaki Foster knew that he was way down on two of the scorecards going into those final two rounds. And because of that, he stepped on the gas. He stepped on Rocky Hernandez, battered him in, well, took some licks too in that 11th round, which to me is the front runner right now for uh, round of the year. And then goes out and stops Rocky Hernandez in the 12th round. What did you take away from watching the end of that fight? You know, if that 11th round isn't round of the year, I'd, I'd really like to see <laughs> to see what is. Uh, incredible comeback there from Oshaki Foster. And like you said, Chris, I mean, this is real evidence for people who are proponents of open scoring. He knew he knew what he had to do, and he went out and did it. Now, if he didn't know what the scores were, maybe he wouldn't have fought that way because he really, 
I mean, what he did in the 11th round and then again, of course, in the 12th round of that fight was incredible. I mean, what a performance from Oshaki Foster, who's had a great year. I mean, he's only fought twice, unfortunately, but uh, that's, that's more than a lot of guys, I guess. But uh, but he's fought twice and, he, and two very good performances. I mean, uh, you, know, you certainly put him on the list for uh, candidates for fighter of the year. I mean, that was a great, great comeback win for him. You know, you go to Mexico and, you know, you're fighting a Mexican fighter. You the hell knows what's going to happen, you know? And a so guy who was a good prospect. Show. I mean, Rocky Hernandez took that yeah. lick against Roger yeah. Gutierrez in the first round. But before that, mm-hmm. like, people looked at him as as a rising right. star. And Gutierrez is a big puncher, yeah. obviously, too. Who, so it was accomplished. Um, and went on one title. So. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Uh, that's who Hector Luis Garcia beat mm-hmm. to, to win his title. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's a – man, that, that's just a great performance from Oshaki Foster. He's a nice kid. He's obviously been through a lot. Went to jail, like his career got derailed, and it looked like he might ever fight again. You know, it was you know doing some terrible things away from the ring and everything, and went down the wrong path. But he got his life together, and here he is, as a world champion, and, and uh, coming off the, certainly the most exciting win of his career. Uh, really incredible, man. I mean, just uh, and and the shame of it is, Chris. You know, Fury and Ganu from a combat sports perspective consume the day and understandably so but then you have this amazing fight at night on the zone and you know a, a small fraction of the people who saw fury and gano even well even knew that this was happening probably you know unfortunately but really incredible stuff and that's the kind of stuff uh you know the conclusion of that fight and and the uh, drama of it all is what really the hardcore boxing fans why they put up with all of the bullshit involved in this sport and they keep coming back for more and keep coming back for more because of nights like that and because of performances like what Oshaki Foster and and Rocky Hernandez provided on Saturday night. That's, you know, more often than not, Chris, you, you I mean, you, you've been covering the sport forever. You know this. I mean, a lot of times the highest profile events, the fights that we think are, you know, or, or that get the most attention, they're very rarely the best fights. Because it's a high-level guy against a high-level guy, and sometimes it's not exactly entertaining. Or in the case of Crawford Spence, it was a it was a, com- a complete beatdown that no one saw coming. But then, like, no one even knows that Rocky and in you know mainstream sports fans have no idea that Rocky Hernandez exists. And he went and did what he did on Saturday night. And same goes for Shaki Foster, who won the fight. I mean, just incredible stuff. There was a theatricality to it all not just the finish but how rocky hernandez's father trainer before the final round said go out there and box him and rocky said i'm not gonna do that i'm not gonna do that like that was like straight out of a movie and then at the very end when all he had to do was hold on all he could he could have even taken a knee and i I don't know the math top of my head would a 10-6 round have cost him the title on one of that second scorecard i don't know but like he just wouldn't hold on or didn't know how to hold on, and Oshaki Foster stops him. And, and look, now, for Oshaki Foster, you know, options are unlimited. I, I would guess he's going to go on to fight Joe Cordina over in the UK. Joe Cordina fights this weekend. By the way, Joe Cordina, this is not a gimme fight. See, a lot of people saying gimme it fight isn't. for Joe it Cordina. Isn't. I saw Edward Edward Vasquez is once beaten, right? I saw Edward Vasquez may, take that loss. May, maybe, maybe. Right, <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. He beat yeah. Ray Ford. In, in Arizona. Like, he beat him. Like, I called that fight. Yep. And I remember sitting there just exasperated at those scorecards. Even Eddie Hearn, I talked to him, and he's Ray Ford's promoter. He's like, we should run that back because, yeah, Ray Ray didn't win that mm-hmm. fight. So everyone's saying that Joe Cordina's got kind of this easy fight against this kid from the U.S. No, 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 no. This, this kid can fight Vasquez. This is a real fight. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you certainly could argue that he beat Ray Ford, Chris, and that's the only loss on his record. Yeah. He's fifteen and one. He's not a he's a bigger puncher, I think, than his knockout ratio indicates. I agree. But he only has three knockouts. Uh, but he can crack a little bit, and he's a well-schooled fighter. He comes from Fort Worth, Texas. I, you know, I did a, a long phone interview with him before he left for Monte Carlo last week. You know, I covered his fights on Showbox and everything. I had a good win on Showbox earlier this year. Um, you know, the kid's a hungry, a hungry kid. You know, he's been with the same girl since he was 14 years old, and they have a daughter together. And you know, he's you know, like every fighter, is fighting for his family and everything. But he's you know sort of being discounted in this fight you know he's the yeah, i think he's like a seven to i think uh cordina is seven to one or nine mm-hmm. to one favorite or something you know and rightfully so cordina is coming off some very good wins rock him off and obviously uh Gawai knocked silly uh so he you know and cordina's undefeated a very talented guy so uh, but that's a fight that's an interesting fight as you said chris because i think edward vasquez is a live underdog uh in that fight at monte carlo yeah no question um real quick on this fight with Oshaki and Rocky Hernandez, just because this needs to be called out every time it happens. Nicholas Hidalgo is the judge that had it 11 rounds to none going into the 12th in favor of Eduardo Hernandez. Um, While certainly you can argue, I guess, the first seven, eight rounds, all of them going to Eduardo Hernandez, like he literally took the ninth round off. His trainer told him, to take the ninth round off. He admitted to taking the ninth round off, and Hidalgo gave that round to Hernandez. The 11th round, nice finish for Rocky Hernandez, but that was a round that should have gone to Oshaki Foster, no question uh, about it. Um, you know, I don't know what this is, Keith. Like, is it incompetence or is it corruption? I mean, Nicholas Hidalgo's had some questionable scorecards in the past, and look, Mauricio Suleiman responded to my tweet. WBC had some oversight there because of... Uh, the title being on the line said he's going to investigate it. We'll see what happens with all that. But that was wild. Like that, 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 That's a guy that's not watching the fight or either is not watching the fight or has decided for whatever reason that he's going to score it a particular way. I was shocked. 11-0 for Rocky Hernandez in a fight like that was absolutely shocking. What did you think? Well, one thing that I think for sure is I have little faith in a WBC investigation uh, unveiling anything. Yeah. Um, but this happens far too often in the sport, Chris. I mean, we could have this conversation 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago. It's the same, you know, sometimes it's incompetence. Sometimes it's, you know, the, the angle that the judge, one judge might be seeing it now, not, I'm not, I don't mean 11 rounds to nothing I'm saying. And, and, you know, sometimes seeing a round differently than the other judges, there is some, some of that to it. Like you, your back might the fighters' backs might be to you, or one of the fighters' backs might be to you. You may not see something as clear as the judge on the other side of the ring. I'm not saying some of that doesn't happen, but some of it is gross incompetence, and some of it is worse. Now, proving these things is, is very difficult to do, but I'm just, you know, come on. Like, the, the thing that happened with uh, Gabriel Maestre and uh, mm-hmm. and Michael Fox, come on. I mean, Michael Fox clearly won that fight. And then it turns out that one of the judges – is married to so I, come on this stuff just should not happen and you know in the case of big fights in las vegas at least the commission without saying it out loud is is at least giving the appearance of trying to rectify some of the problem you know dave moretti had two rough nights in a row um the gervonta davis ryan garcia fight which obviously didn't go to the scorecards and then you know he had the devin haney um this Vasily Lomachenko fight too wide. And then when it came time to 
for the for the judges to be selected for the next two big fights in Las Vegas, which were um, Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence, and Canelo Alvarez and Jamel Charlo. He was not selected as one of the judges. In fact, I don't even think he was in the pool of judges to be selected. So at least I'm not trying to pick on Dave Moretti. I know he's an older guy and, and he's been a pretty competent judge for a long time, but you know, at some point, you just you just shouldn't be doing it. Like, anymore, oh, yeah, older guy, Keith, not to be an ageist here, but older guy is part of the problem too. Like, if you've got a judge that's been around mm-hmm. for 40, 50 years, like at some point, you don't, you're not as good at your job as you used to be. And, and this is not a sport where you can afford to be bad at your job. Guys' lives are on the line, their livelihoods are on the line. They train right. for eight, 10 weeks and go out there and wage war, you know, putting a beating on themselves, costing them something in their long term life. They deserve the very best. They deserve the most competent, yeah. well-tested judges that are out there, and they're not getting that. I mean, like Hidalgo, that scorecard goes on the Mount Rushmore of bad scorecards. It has to because that was, of course, it yeah. ap- like just I defy anyone out there. Go look at that fight again. Watch just the ninth round. Don't watch anything else. Watch just the ninth round, which Rocky Hernandez absolutely positively took off. Did not throw punches. Moved backwards when he's moving forwards the whole entire time. I defy you to find any logical way. Watch it with the sound off. Watch it however way you want. I defy you to find a way to score that round for Rocky Hernandez, but Nicholas Hidalgo did. That was that was one of the top three or four most egregious scorecards that I have ever seen in boxing, and that guy shouldn't be brought back. I agree with you. I don't have much faith, faith in the WBC and whatever investigation, but if I am a fighter or a manager, I'm going to keep it exclusively to fighters and managers because they're focused on themselves. Maybe different for promoters who've got varying interest. But if I'm a fighter or a manager, I've got to keep records of this stuff. I've got to be aware of guys that uh, are really, really bad. And if I see one of those guys judging my fight, don't fight. I know it's tough because these guys, what, it's like a week, two weeks before a fight, they're actually named, you find out. Sometimes even later. Um, and that's the challenge, Keith. I, I give you that. Walking away from a fight after you just trained six, eight weeks for it, that's a lot to ask, but isn't it riskier to go into that fight with a judge that you know might not be on your side? Well, the biggest thing is that managers and promoters who know what they're doing, and that's a lot of them, they know what they're doing. I mean, they get the pool of judges, particularly for the bigger fights, and then they say, we're this. they'll fight as much as they can to say, we don't want this guy as a judge, and here's our rationale as to why he scored this fight this way, that fight. Of course, if you have history with the guy and he's scored against you, I don't think any commission is going to push back on that. But you do get some pushback sometimes from the commissions who are adamant about having a particular judge for whatever reason. Um, so, But again, I think most people with a lot of money at stake in, in most of these cases, uh, and like you said, guys' livelihoods at stake, they are uh, – going over the the pool of judges with a fine-tooth comb. They are doing that. And sometimes, again, you'll get some pushback or whatever. But I think the commissions have to, you know, be flexible enough to to not just force an official on someone just because they think he's – and that's happened in the past in Las Vegas. And so they've maybe learned their lesson to some degree uh, with what happened earlier this year and showing some flexibility and some willingness to put, you know, to listen to the, like, you can't turn down every judge. I mean, you go, oh, I don't want him, him, him. Somebody's got to judge the fight. Uh, so I understand that. Um, but you have to listen to the participants. Otherwise, you're sort of asking for it in the aftermath if there's some controversy, which is what happened in the Devin Haney, Vasily Lomachenko fight. Igis uh, Klimas didn't want one of the judges and he, he opposed one of the judges that was in the judging pool and the judge, judge the fight. So 
why would you do that? Yeah. And 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 Agus to his, I mean, what's he supposed to say it that he's not supposed to? Of course, he's going to mention it. He tried everything he could to not have that judge judge the fight, and then the judge came up with a score that was off. I mean, you know what? What is uh, what is a, what else is a manager supposed to do except what Igus Klimas did in that case? You know? I would say, but and to, to, other- just to keep it on on Oshaki and and this fight here, like uh, whoever was researching Nicholas Hidalgo dropped the ball. Then Nicholas Hidalgo has not judged a fight before that since February of 2022. It's been over a year and a half since he had last the judged only- a fight. And one of the fights he scored when he was over in Russia was that Linares Abdulayev fight. And that was the fight I thought Abdullayev was winning. Well, Hidalgo had Abdullayev, win- uh, sorry, Linares winning that fight going into that last round. Abdullayev wound up stopping him, so it didn't really matter. But already some warning signs, Keith. He hasn't been judging in a long time, and one of his last fights had a shaky scorecard to begin with. No, the only thing is, Chris, I just want to be careful about what I say about that because I don't know if Oshaki Foster's team opposed him and he wound up judging the fight anyway that could have happened so i don't know maybe they you know and then like hey, they should have been yelling if they, if they did they you know oshaki bobby benton any of those guys part of his management team should have been up and screaming like afterwards saying we did but we you're, you're right guy. you're right but but chris here's the thing like you said you're in this position you haven't fought since february you're in a position to make x amount uh, on this night are you going to walk away I from the fight it, yeah. over it or you, yeah. you know so I, so you're in a very t- you're, you're going to the guy's home country and you got all these odds stacked against you and he almost lost yeah you know, so the one other thing I just wanted to say related to this, Chris, is I'd like to see the commissions. And I, 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 I don't, I'm not getting into what happens in Mexico because who knows, right? But in the U.S., hey, what happens in Mexico? If, if, what I saw in Guadalajara for that Canelo fight, where who was it? Stevie Spark fought somebody. I forget Valenzuela. And the judges were like switched, right, 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 right. switched in I real remember. time. Like there's some crazy. And you, and you made a point. Like you made a point of it on the broadcast. No, I remember you made a point yeah. of it on the broadcast, and he winds up losing the fight. But my point is, though, Chris, like the commissions have to take some action against. The, they're so reluctant to penalize or, or to certainly to criticize publicly any officials. And I understand, like you know, you don't want to get on a guy who may be a good judge usually, and he has one bad night or whatever. But the guys can have off. But you, but they're. But like in the case of, and I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but just real quick, when Joe Smith fought Jesse Hart in Atlantic City, it was like January of 2020. One of the judges submitted a card that was way off, and he and I, and I believe he judged the fight for Jesse Hart when Jesse Hart clearly lost. Uh, Larry Hazard, who's the the commissioner, the boxing commissioner in New Jersey, suspended the judge. He called him into his office and he said, "Look, I want you to explain to me how you got to this score." And I'm pretty sure they they went through that exercise, and Larry suspended him. He has come back to judge fights and saying he's not you know, trying to end the guy's career or anything. He wanted it to be a learning tool for the judge, so the next time that that wouldn't happen. But in other look in other jurisdictions, I don't see that happening. And and if you don't punish someone for doing something egregious. I don't know that it's going to change anything moving forward. I'm not saying they're intentionally going to screw the scores up, but I mean, maybe, just, I don't know, go about it in a different way because, again, like you said, guys' livelihoods are at stake, man. And this is not fair to people who, you know, who literally risk their lives every time they walk up those steps to just have, you know, some willy-nilly score just dictate the course of their lives. No, you, so in some right. cases, you win a fight and your next fight lands you a million-dollar payday. And if you lose, it's like, it could be like $50,000. It's that significant, you know, wins and losses yeah. in this sport. They deserve better. They deserve the very best. And I, I, I'm with you. I'm not confident they're going to get it because it feels like we're going to be back here doing this all over again like a month from now when the next judge uh, uh, submits a bad scorecard. Last thing for you. Um, 
this is this it's not funny but it is like Keyshawn Davis beats the hair all bright a couple of weeks ago um not a great performance from Keyshawn, but he gets the win. We find out this week that that fight's been changed to a no contest, and Keyshawn's been suspended for a few months because he tested positive for marijuana. Keith, uh, <laughs> are we really popping people for marijuana still in Texas? This is still a thing? Like, I knew it was a thing because this was a story when Nate Diaz fought Jake Paul, and people were asking mm-hmm. Nate Diaz, like, are you going to adhere to the Texas marijuana rule and he's like hell no i'm not doing that move the fight if you have to i'm gonna smoke whenever i want to smoke uh Keyshawn davis from what i was told tested positive for a very small amount of marijuana and he winds up losing a win on his record and loses a slot on the top ranked card on december 9th which is one of their most high profile shows of the year mm. because it comes right after the heisman ceremony uh that takes place in new york city so it, it, should we stop testing for marijuana is that can we can we get, at least agree on that? Well, pro- I would assume so, based on the way everything has gone in this country. Nobody else does. You know, like, like the NBA stuff. No, I, the I know. Said, Screw it. No, I get it. Yeah. So, but the unfortunate thing for look what they would say to Keyshawn Davis or anyone else who happened to test positive for marijuana is that's one of our rules, and if you don't like it, don't fight here. Yeah. I, you know, that's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. And and look. If you're fighting for a living or whatever you're doing, you have to know what's allowed and what isn't. Now, maybe, I'm assuming he didn't know that it wasn't allowed. I can't imagine that he just said, ah, screw it. I'm going to get tested by the commission anyway, and I'm just going to risk it. I, 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 I would assume that's not what he did. From what I heard, Keith, um, from what I heard, Keith, I thought it, I heard it. I think he thought it was out of his system. I think he did it earlier. Okay. I think he thought it was going to be out yeah, of his system. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know why they're still testing for it, as you said, Chris, but at this uh, – <laughs> I don't know. It's just Texas, man. Like, uh, not to get too all into this, but like, you can go buy an AR-15 in Texas, but you can't smoke marijuana and fight. Like, I don't, I don't just, I, I don't, I, I can't. Yeah, it's, 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 it's strange. It's unfortunate for Keyshawn too, because like he was looking to come back against Jose Pedraza, yeah, who's big a event. you know former world champion, and and look, he didn't have the greatest performance against Nair Albright either. So he was looking to kind of end the year on a more positive note by beating Jose Pedraza. And now he's going to have to wait and everything. And I guess, you know, some people might look at it like, well, Hey, look, he knew and he did it and he's got to pay the consequences and whatever. But I don't know, man, boxing's got, I'll say this, this sport has many, 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 many more problems than whether they test for marijuana in Texas. That's for damn sure. <laughs> Absolutely. This also why I love your website. I think I read a headline uh, a couple of days ago, which, uh, like Nahir Albright calls out Shakur Stevenson. Like Nahir Albright gets a pass, so he calls out Shakur Stevenson for a fight. Uh, take advantage of. He, he's 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 actually pretty good though. I thought like, he was I good. Say, you know, I he, thought he was he, good. You know, he beat. Yeah. You know, he beat um, uh, Carlos Balderas. He beat uh, in in Vegas um, back. It was it July? Uh, toward the end of July, he had a, it was a good win for him. He's a he's a good little boxer. He's from kid from South Jersey. Uh, I didn't think he beat Keyshawn Davis, but it was a close fight, you know, and hopefully, yeah, and hopefully he'll get a, you know, a real fight off of that. You always support the guys from South Jersey, don't you? Well, I'm no, more North Jersey, but you know. Jersey's Jersey. Jersey is Jersey's Jersey. Jersey. Uh, follow Keith Idek on Twitter at Idek Boxing. Read his stuff in BoxingScene.com. Keith, always good to catch up, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, same here, Chris. Take care, man. And when we come back, my conversation with Jamel Herring eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And 
as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Jamel Herring is the former 130-pound title holder. He returned to the ring for the first time in nearly 18 months he takes on Nicholas Molina at the Edison Ballroom in New York. That's a fight you can watch live on DAZN. So, Jamel, let's start right there. May of 2022, mm. you lose a fight to Jermaine Ortiz. You yes. sound pretty sure that of yourself that you're done in the ring afterwards. Walk me through kind of what's changed to put you back in the ring this Tuesday. Commentating. <laughs> commentating, just being up close, you know, being up close and seeing all the great fights um, with top rank, you know, ha- having me have me commentate with them and Christina Poncher. And you just, you just get that hunger and you miss it. And I know I needed – but I knew I, if I was going to come back, I had to definitely take it seriously because I'm not getting any younger. And I, and I knew for a fact I had to add something to my arsenal, which was defense. Defense has always been an issue with me at times. So I, I had, you know, a lot of time to think about it. And I, I just say, you know what, let, let's go for it and we'll just go from there. When you have this discussion with friends, with family, 
what was that like? Um, it it was it actually you could say it was more positive. Of course, you know, with family, with family, of course, there was there was concerns, especially my my wife Jennifer. She was more concerned about um you know about returning because she was she you know they they felt like I gave so much to boxing and they know it's hard on the body as it is. So I understood, but she knew she knew that you know I still love the love the sport, and it was just, it, it was really a decision that actually came down to listen if she was um if she was up for it. I was gonna do it. If she wasn't, then I would I would just stay back. But you know, she gave me her blessing, and and here we are today. So you said you need to make changes. You need to work on defense. Yes. How do you change as a fighter at 38 years old? You go to you, you go to somebody who um who believes in you for starters, such as a, a great man of um, Wayne McCullough, who's a um a former world champion in his own right. Um, he's he was trained by the great Eddie Futch, who was a master of teaching, especially with defense. And you just go and me and Wayne, we just, we just developed a great chemistry to where the point where you know even at thirty eight, you have to be open minded still. And I never was close minded about thinking I knew it all. And, and and I was actually more upset with myself while during this training camp because I learned so much for Wayne. And I was saying to myself, man, if I actually knew this about let's just say five years ago, where would I be today? But again. You know, staying disciplined for starters. I always take care of my body. You, you know that, Chris. I've, I've never. I, I've, you don't really see me out there doing anything crazy. I don't. I don't do um, partying unless it's maybe a family event or anything like that. But again, it, it, discipline and um, self belief and take care of your body throughout the years. Yeah, I love Wayne McCullough, one of the great guys in all of boxing. Got to know him a little bit over the years. Yeah. Uh, how did you two guys connect? Um, you know, it was a simple phone call, a simple phone call, because we had, I had, I have a kid that I'm managing in, from Scotland by um Stephen Nunes Jr. and Stephen was working, with, and we um had put Stephen in, in there with Wayne, and and Wayne, and they developed a chemistry, and I said, you know what, let me get Wayne a call, because I always wanted to also train in Las Vegas, because Las Vegas has so much good work I had in terms of sparring and training, and then you know Wayne and I, we got in a phone call, we um easily just clicked and connected, and it was actually Wayne that told me that he still believes that I still have you know, something in the tank to push forward. And here we are. And we, and like every day, it's just a great atmosphere. It's a private gym. I don't have any distractions. I get the one-on-one time that I need with Wayne. And, you know, even today, I remember coming from coming in, you know, day one with camp and I was so frustrated trying to learn his technique with defense, but I was determined to, to, to get it, to get it right. And, you know, Chris, I'm almost honest. Like I was, I was good at fighting on the outside, but I always had that issue with mid to close range. Even with Jermaine Ortiz and Shakur Stevenson, Shakur, I, I couldn't fight on mid range, and Shakur is so great at um, you know, judging distance. Jermaine, um, in those last three rounds, you know, when he when he let his hands go, he really he really beat me on the inside because I, I would I would still have the old school peekaboo stance. So with that, I knew I had I had to like learn those things, and, and luckily for me. Wayne was somebody who 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 broke it down to me so easily. Where, where even as late in my career, I could pick it up, and it it just been fun. I mean, I've been sparring guys bigger than me. I was actually I was supposed to spar Shakur Stevenson, um, actually uh, um, when I first got here, but Shakur had gotten up sparring for his fight because you know he's fighting a southpaw. Mm-hmm. Um, David Devin Haney's team had called out for me, but then Devin had got um tied up doing his tour with um you know promoting the fight in in, in California. But um, I sparred Leon Pyro, who's who's actually on Devin's undercard in the Coleman event, and he's really a big good fighter. Puncher. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he's a really he's a big puncher. Um, I sparred I sparred with um Chan Thompson, who's um WBA's number ten rated at, at the lightweight division, undefeated fighter, fifteen and zero, I believe, like um sixteen and 13, 14 knockouts. So I, I, again, these are guys you need to have tight defense with, and 
I felt so comfortable um, sparring with Liam and those guys that I feel a lot confident going moving forward because again Wayne has a um a sixteen by sixteen um ring in his gym and that's a small and you know for me as a boxer I I always thought that was like a more of a brawlers ring but you know Wayne has told me to tighten up and being more confident in my defense that now I feel a lot confident you know moving forward and going into this fight against Molina. You know, change is is good to talk about, fun to talk about when fighters are, are you know, change things up or, or coming back. But a lot of times, Jamel, when I see fighters that talk about change or make trainer change, when they get in the ring for a real fight, a lot of times they revert back to what they are yeah. because it's almost muscle memory to revert back to what you are. How difficult do you think that's going to be for you in this fight coming up? Um, you know, I, I think I think it'll take time, honestly. Like, like you mentioned before, sometimes... You get in this situation, and then you go back to what you know, you know, and, and I understand that. And I thought about that. I thought about that over and over. But, again, um, with Wayne, it's just like he won't even allow me just even inspiring to go back to the old, old things. He's like he's constantly with that with that strong Irish accent, constantly putting things in my head. And we're to where now everything everything for him um, is offense, defense, offense, defense. It's not just offense, you know. Um I know I could fight. I know I know I could be offensive, but with Wayne is is muscle memory and everything. So it's always offense, defense. But again, that's a great one, guys. You put that brought that up though, Chris, because I, you do see it. We all see it at times. I mean, a fighter he may start doing things this way, but then he'll revert back to those old bad habits in the next round or so. So that's a, that's actually going to be the main test. But it's something that I'm actually eager and willing to um you know and willing to 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 conquer going into this fight. Yeah, I mean it's an extreme example, but. I remember in the first round of the third Wilder Fury fight, you're watching Wilder throw jabs the entire right. first round. But as the fight yeah. progresses, he you know reverts into playing rock'em sock'em robot with Tyson Fury. It just happens. I mean, guys, you guys fight one way for a very long time. It's mm-hmm. often hard to to make significant changes. Um, you're fighting a guy that's undefeated, Nicholas Molina, yeah. and I'll respect him because he's from Massachusetts, and I love all guys from Massachusetts. <laughs> but you know, look, the the best version of Jamel Herring is a better fighter than Nicholas Molina. Yeah. Do you have to win this fight a certain way to make you believe you're ready for the bigger fight? What are your expectations absolutely. for this fight? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I always say to myself, um, yes, winning is important, but at times when you get to a certain level, it's how you win and how you do it winning. So absolutely. that, And that's why I'm so determined to um, put all these, these tools together but do it, do it the right way, not not force them, not not force myself to do it, you know, force things as, as I would say. But you know, make it feel naturally, and um, you know, do it the right way. Because again, um, there's I don't have time on my side, so I have to. If I don't get it right now, it may not, it may never come. The opportunity may never come again. So of course, you know, Nick Molina, yeah, he may not be on my level, even as a under, you know him being an undefeated fighter. But at the same time, I can't really focus on what Nick Molina is doing or or, or how he comes to the how he comes into this fight. I gotta really, I gotta really, you know, focus on myself and put it all together and go from there because I, I do want to. Um, I like you know, I, I just worked at a great deal with Luda Bella. I'm Tyrang is I'm still Tyrang is still a fan of my family, so I, I always have love with Tyrang. But again. You know, I want to make the most of this opportunity and, and I'll obviously get back into title contendership as soon as possible. Yeah. Well, before I get to the, the title contender stuff, uh, talk to me about coming back with Lou DiBella because you did work with Top Rank for a yeah. long time. They helped, you know, get your career back on track when then you moved back down from 135 to 130. You still broadcast fights with them. Yeah. Um, why are you working with DiBella? Not that, I mean, DiBella is as good as it gets in New York City, that's for sure. But why are you working with Lou and not with Top Rank for this? I mean, I, I, you know, with Tyrank, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, 
you know, saying uh, like any any hard feelings. I think they you know, top rank, as you can see now, they're going to a different direction. And let's be honest, I, I believe they're trying to push more with their younger talent, and I respect that. And you know, and I respect that. I, I get it. It's the business of boxing. And for, you know, I didn't want to, and I didn't want to be that guy who just, you know, you know, I wanted to have basically more, a little bit more control with my career and the direction I was going with, and with like, and guys like Lou, you know, Lou's a great guy. Lou's actually, I consider him more of a friend than a new promoter, more than anything. So with Lou, it's like, you know, I have a lot more control on the direction. And let's be honest, Chris, with everything going on with boxing. You know, I don't have to be tied to one, as they say, one side of the street. You know, with Lou. He works with top rank still, so there's always we can always do something with top rank in in terms of fights over there. Um, he he he's he's passed things up with Eddie Hearn basically because of my relationship in the, in, in the direction I want to go to. So we can always do um, fights with Matchroom and, and so on. He's done business with Al Heyman in the past. So again, I, and and plus he's a, he's a New Yorker, and I, and I always wanted to fight more at home anyway, especially if I if I'm going to really close out my career, I, I I would like to fight at home a little bit more than I did in the past. You know, three of the belts uh, will be in play at 130 in a one-month period. We just saw Shaqie Foster <laughs> in a phenomenal fight, you know, yes. a phenomenal comeback win this past weekend. Uh, you've got Joe Cordina coming up this weekend over in Monte Carlo, and then a couple of weeks down the line, just was announced, Hector Luis Garcia yep. is going to defend his version of the title against Lamont Roach. Um is there a preferred avenue for you? I know you've called out Joe Cordina before. You know, I saw, you know, with Shaqie Foster winning, Probably a decent chance they make a unification fight there. Right. I don't know. It sort of seems like a natural fit for them. What do you think your pathway is to getting a world title shot? Um, you know, honestly, I was, I would love to do a European tour. And what I mean by that is, of course, I still would love, I'd love to fight Joker Dina. Joker Dina is a good friend of mine, so there's no obviously, you know, there's no animosity. But I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised or upset if Joker Dina does choose, you know, the bigger fight for his career. Again, his business. I know he's he's looking for that big fight. But I always wanted to also fight in the UK since the Olympics, since the 2012 Games in, in, um, in London. I always wanted to fight again in the UK. We all know how how big the UK atmosphere is for boxing, especially with big events. So, again, I'm hoping to fight guys like Lee Wood. I know Lee Wood is moving up to 130. Um, I think Josh, I think even Josh Warrington is coming up to 130 as well. So I will, I would love to fight one of those guys even over there um, from Cordina to, to Warrington. In, in somewhere in the UK. Um, Lamont Roach, he's a good friend of mine. He actually just, um, we we spoke maybe about a couple of months ago before I started camp when he knew I was coming back. He did mention it in a, in a past interview that he would love to run it back if he does win the title because, you know, I am the only one to, to take his um, his O. So he would definitely love to run that back if he becomes a WBA champion. Um, again, I'm still close with top rank. Uh, you know, Emmanuel Navarrete, much respect. I have no problem, you know, doing, you know, t taking that tall task as well. And again, who knows what who knows what Oshaki Foster may do now? I think you know every you know he, the the cards in his hands now. You know, what I mean, he, he had a great fight, um, probably one of the best fights of the year. Even though it was like one of those fights under the radar, but when we all seen it, it was a very um tight action fight. So for me, that's the main reason. Also, of course, working with Ludabella, there, there's always avenues. If one if one plan doesn't work, we can always go here, here, or there. So. That, that and but I'm open to you know I'm a, I'm an old school fighter I'm a, I'm a real fighter so I'm always open to anything but again my main objective is definitely to um you know fight in the UK so Cordina um Wood Warrington I'm up for it and if that doesn't go if that doesn't happen then again we can go the other route to face the um the other other top contenders or champions you know you got used to making a certain amount of money 
in those last couple of fights, a world title fight with Shakur, you know, I mm-hmm. mean, you, you were on a pretty high level. Uh, if you can't secure those big fights early next year, I mean, are you looking to stay active at this point? Oh, yeah. To, like, to What's your kind of plan there? Yeah. I have to, Chris. I, Chris, I have to. I can't. We've seen what Ring Rust has done with, with many fighters, even, even, 100%. At, the top, even at, the, at the top level. So, Again, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I would I would like to at least fight three times in in the new in the new year because I want to I want to be active. I want to stay active after this fight. If both goes well, no injuries, I definitely want to come back. You know, early 2024, and then you know, fight in the middle of the year and to the end of the year. So again, I want to stay active. You have to stay active. I don't want to. I'm not going. I'm never going to be one of those guys that sits around and wait and wait for the opportunity to come or because it, it may never come. And again, I, I don't have time on my side, so I would like to just. Stay active, make fun fights. That's why that's why I mentioned guys like you know Wood and Warrington who don't have belts and you know and coming up into the new division. So if they, again, if I can't get a champion, why not stay active and make fun fights? Some money in a Lee Wood fight too. I think over the UK, it's a popular yeah, yeah, guy. Absolutely. <laughs> Even with this fight, um, you know, with Lou, Lou and I, we spoke. I'm donating half my charity to 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 vets. Of course, you know, it's, it's a great cause. Veterans Day week, um, coming up. Um, and, and to NYPD um, officers as well, because, you know, I am I am a, a New York native. So I, I feel like, you know, I'm, I want to give back at least in this upcoming fight. But again, like you pointed out afterwards, we can have the fun to make the, the big fights and make the big money again. But that's that's but it definitely I want to stay active and stay busy in the new year. I'm not going to be one of these guys that stay and wait. And are, I don't and nothing. I'm not going to argue about money because that also keeps fighters out the ring. You know, if, if it's like I said, again. If I'm treated, just treat me fairly and, and pay me and pay me right. I'm, I'm there again. I, I have no issue going to the UK and fighting on the little guys' turf. I've done it. You know, I fought overseas and I fought Frampton. That's probably one of my my biggest win on my on my resume. No question. But there's no there's no problem with me fighting like again like guys like Lee Wood and um, Warren. And again, you probably put a belt. You know, Lee Wood has a great relationship with the WBA, of course, and him, him representing them. You probably put a belt uh, a title. <laughs> One with that fight. Please, so, please don't so. wish that into the world. Please don't wish right. the WBA <laughs> to throw titles. Oh yeah, but yeah, but you know, you know, need more. So, Chris, you know, <laughs> to get to get to move up to move up ahead of the line. Hey, whatever. No, I, look, I'm excited about this fight of yours on Tuesday. I love. I, first of all, I love that it's on Tuesday. I think we need to do more weekday fights because I don't know why yeah. we attach ourselves to Saturday so much. But that's, uh, you know, that's, that's a great thing also because I feel like everybody, you know, so especially you see this, especially with fans, they think when you're fighting on Tuesdays and Thursdays, oh, it, why would they do that? It's not a – I believe, listen, it's if, if everybody can just tune in and just watch me because I have that one day out of, like, everybody trying to look at fights on Saturday – you know, it's like three cards on Saturday at times, and it's hard for me to keep up. If forget I could be three thinking, cards on Saturday, forget it. You're going up against like Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, most of the time, yeah, like yeah, football season. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, if I could fight on Tuesday and have all I see, you know, what Jamel Herring is doing today, that I'm happy with now that. You're going up against like a rerun of Law and Order Criminal Intent. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. He did, like it's, I, I think this this needs to be done more in boxing. But look, I, I'm going to go to that fight. I'm I'm looking forward to sitting there and watching it. I'm, I'm curious. Just to kind of see, like I've seen you at your best, and right. what I'm curious about to see is if your body allows you to be your best. If at this yes, stage of yes. your life, your career, um, and I guess that's the last question I have for you. Like, how sure are you that your body's going to respond in this fight? Oh, like, like if you was here talking to Wayne right now, Wayne would have told you I, I was ready two weeks ago. Honestly, I was ready two weeks ago, which would have been what six, six, five, six weeks. Because yeah, this is this is my seventh week. Next week be eight. But again, I, I, um, I easily adapt. Um, I actually had to slow down, because, like you mentioned, because I don't want to overtrain. Like I am older now, so I, like Wayne's whole theory is working smarter, 
not harder. Of course, we, we do put in the hard work. But again, I'm not here to kill my body. I want to leave something a lot. Well, I want to leave a lot for the fight. So right now, I'm just kind of just tuning on things and just, you know, easily cutting down the weight. Like last a couple of weeks ago, I was already at 136. The fight's at 133. And again, you know, you know me, Chris. I actually wanted to fight a view at 130. I actually won the 10 rounds because, like I said, I am I believe in myself as still a high a high caliber fighter. But, you know, we I had to had to make some um, changes because, you know, he wanted to catch weight. They weren't too sure about doing 10 rounds. So they wanted to do that. So, again, these are these are things I also look at also in terms of the, the mental aspect of boxing. But, again, I'm ready. Um, like again, Liam, Liam, I just sparred Liam um, last last Thursday. We, and, again, he's, he's still, you know, he's coming in probably like – 150 something and I, and I still you know again i i love i love the work and, I, and you know he gave me he gave me high praise and and that's what that's all the confidence that i need you know going with guys that's younger stronger bigger and just you know and just the training aspect going into this fight and liam can crack just ask oh, brock yeah, jarvis yeah, yes he, he put can. brock jarvis into the mat in the first round yeah. that's a 140 yeah. pound puncher for real uh he's yeah, gonna, he was gonna fight regis program before he got hurt yeah. i'm rooting for him I hope, I hope he does i hope he does well i hope he gets the um a title shot soon in his own right as well he's a, he's a real good guy a real good fighter yeah well hopefully you get a title shot too soon as well but first up uh, nicholas molina edison ballroom in new york great venue to watch boxing luda bella does yeah. club shows as, as good as anybody in all of boxing tuesday night live on the zone jamel i will see you there and good luck to you in the ring thank you Chris. thank you man i appreciate you that's it for this week's episode my thanks to keith idek and jamel herring for joining the show as always subscribe rate review this podcast on apple podcasts spotify wherever you download podcasts and i'll see you next week thank you so much i go sleep MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.